Introducing the Aging Room Quattro Nicaragua JR 50th. One of the highest rated cigars in the industry is now available in a special rounded torpedo size. Celebrate our 50th anniversary in style with this iconic limited edition smoke, only available at jrcigars.com. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Master Sensei. Right here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is a uh, special episode of Smoke Night Live. This is episode 316, Jordan. What? 316. We just keep keep cranking them out. Keep cranking them out. Now, normally on a Wednesday night, you guys would be tuning into uh, a flavor odyssey with Robbie and Randy. A flavor odyssey. But we decided to give Robbie and Randy the week off. Randy was really whining about having to work on the week, mm, a holiday so week. Hard. You know, I know it's so hard, <laughs> smoking cigars and and drinking fine liquor. Um, but we gave him the week off. Uh, no, they deserved it. Uh, uh, they they do such a great Wednesday night show. And then uh, Smoke Night Live is normally on Friday, but this Friday is going to be New Year's Eve. So we figured, hey, you know what? Let's just do Smoke Night Live on Wednesday. We're moving. We're shaking. And that way we can uh, kind of kill two birds with one stone, keep the keep the train moving, as they say, huh, Jordan? That's correct. So uh, we got a nice little studio on. Scott and Matt in the uh, house back there, boys. Thank you guys for joining us, as always. You guys are always in, in the studio. Um, hope everybody had a, uh, <laughs> a good Christmas, a good holiday, and that sort of thing. Um, Hey Jordan, you know uh, today I I went through the the Starbucks drive-through line. Yes, as you do. As I normally do. Yeah. And so they do this weird thing occasionally. I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen to you, where the person in front of you pays for your drink. Oh, and then you're supposed to. And then you're supposed to pay it forward. And then you're supposed to pay for the next guy. And I, you know, look, I'm. I'm an old school guy. I didn't really understand how this worked. Nah. Like, thanks, sweet. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> wa- I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. But what I didn't understand, I, I, I don't know. Is you guys tell me if this is a faux pas, Scotty? Scotty, you tell me if this is a faux pas. Right. I the I, the lady says, "Hey, the person in front of you paid for your drink." And then she's kind of like, says like uh, she's kind of like hinting around, like, all right, so now you. Please tell me you didn't ask how much the guy's bill behind you. I was. did. I oh did. my gosh! No. <laughs> what if? No. <laughs> well, Come what, on, what if bro. the guy? What if the guy behind me is buying for yeah, his entire office? I totally agree. It could be like eighty-seven dollars. <laughs> you know, well, I don't. Know. You I don't could know. Say, you know, well, how much was it? Or, or you could just say. That's you know what, what I said. Put twenty on it and just leave the rest. If it's over that, that's your tip. I said. Uh, I said. I could have gone high road, bro. You could have yeah. gone. High I don't. Road. I don't like this. Whole I thing said. Because I said. 
can you just is the guy behind me buying a reasonable <laughs> you know, is, is it in the ballpark of what I had you went yeah. old man cheapskate yes I did ah. because I am an old man cheapskate it sort of takes away the initial nice act because now we're all just buying the same stuff you know I just anyway, read a like, thing just, and can I we all just buy our own thing I liked the whole thing of rather than buying the person's you know, like the next person in line, their stuff is just taking and like what you would have done and just tipping the person that works there. Okay, that's fine. And just saying, you know, rather than doing that, because those people were paying for it anyway, so rather that tip the people that are working there, really make their day. That's a good idea. Now, the way I look at it is this. If this whole pay, pay it forward sort of thing, does it really make any difference in the in That's the grand scheme of things? It's, you're all just still buying the same thing now. Uh, now the only thing that's just changing shifted. is I paid ten seventy five instead of five thirty two, like. And then somebody, you know, somebody, yeah, somebody gets a little bit better of a deal. Somebody like me got a little bit worse of a deal. Yeah, what? it's just all this exact same thing. The first guy, like it, the it first guy who started it, did something nice. And then after that, now it just becomes <laughs> a chain, a chain, and that's, there's no difference. Re- you know, really, what happened is I ended up spending twice for for my drink. You know, okay, it's Christmas. I uh, <laughs> know, I'm. But you're not giving a gift because the next person has to buy the next guy's uh, gift. Exactly. I, you know, so it's kind of I don't. know, It's kind of a weird. I don't like it. It's kind of a weird thing. And I, I don't I al- like being like forced into things. Like, just let me be nice on my own time. I almost broke the chain. I I, I almost <laughs> broke the chain and just said. You know, I you know, but I couldn't do that. I, I don't want to feel like the big the big dork of the of the chain. It's already bad enough. He asked the price. I, now I have I did talk to a Starbucks barista and I asked him this question. I said, "Was it rude for me to hint around?" And what they said is normally, normally the barista should have said to me, "Yeah, they should have taken the, the guy. Off the me. guy behind you, he, his drink is like ten something. Do you want to?" But she didn't say that, so I didn't know. Like, I mean, what you know? What if the guy was buying like you know, <laughs> pounds of coffee as as Christmas <laughs> gifts or something? I yeah, don't he, know. he bought like one of those coffee machines that they sell. <laughs> yeah, it was like three hundred dollars. <laughs> like Keurig. You know, I mean, I can't I can't put myself on the hook for three hundred dollars. I don't know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it, it, I, yeah, I don't like it, it. It was it was well. I know you wouldn't like Jordan. You don't like anything. You don't like anything. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, this special Wednesday night edition, super excited about the show. We've had Jeff on the show uh, in the past, and it's been a long time, so we really wanted to get him back on the show. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Smoke Night Live, Jeff Borschwitz. Jeff, how are you doing, my friend? Fantastic. Eric and uh, the whole gang of the Dojo Universe, thanks for having me on the show again. Um, I always love your lighthearted, entertaining show, and... Uh, we're happy to be here on a Wednesday Smoke Night Live. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's been maybe a couple years or so since we've had you on the show. Um, but it's way too long. We should have had you on... Uh, at least every other week. At least every other week. <laughs> you know. Well, we, we should have lots to talk about. Yeah, we should. Now, Jeff, how was, uh, how was your Christmas? Do you have a good Christmas? Uh, we had both a wonderful personal uh, Christmas and... and Business-wise, was fantastic as well. So, and again, we're in Florida, so we have a wonderful uh, <laughs> uh, weather, and uh, economy's open, and yeah, everything's baby. good here. F- Florida was packed 
you know, Universal Studios is about five minutes away from where I'm at right now. And I saw overflow parking this week. So the place is busy. Good. I think I just missed you by a night, Jeff, when I was down in, in Tampa just recently for the Cigar Heritage Festival. And I did the, uh, the show at um, your lounge there in Tampa at the gorgeous, probably my favorite cigar lounge in the entire world, the Davidoff Lounge there in Tampa, Corona Cigar Company. That lounge is, is not only is it beautiful and done to perfection in my opinion, but the bourbon selection, you know, Tommy picks out the bourbons there. The bourbon selection is second to none. Like, to me, Jeff... That store is a cigar smoker's destination. And I got to tell you, it, on that Friday night, it was literally packed. I mean, it was overflowingly packed. What a, what a great time we had. So I watched your show on Friday when you did Saturday. And that whole weekend, the store was, like, unbelievable. So when I was there Saturday, it was, like, wall-to-wall people. And uh, it was an incredible weekend. Um, and so when I was watching your show, and I know you're you're talking about the great bourbons and whiskeys we have, um, yeah, you can we can put a hurting on a wallet when it comes to the <laughs> bourbons and whiskeys because we got some crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, like whatever your imagination you can think of, uh, it's on the shelf there. And uh, as long as your pocketbook can handle it, there's some really old stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a bourbon fanatic, as most people know, and. And I gotta say, uh, just a real quick, quickie note. Like everybody's pretty much had Buffalo Trace bourbon in their life, and it's a solid bourbon. You know, it's a cheap, solid bourbon. It's not normally my first pick, but if you go to the the Davidoff store, the the Corona Cigar Company store in Tampa, and you get their pick, their barrel pick of Buffalo Trace, it is the best Buffalo Trace pick that you can ever that's the best buffalo trace the best version of buffalo trace i've ever had in my life jeff it was amazing and i agree with you and i gotta tell you we were we were working with zazarak um which owns buffalo trace distillery we were working with them back in the 2000s before anybody even really knew what pappy van winkle or 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 buffalo trace was people kind of knew about blanton's Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't really know about eagle rare either and Elmer T. Lee had a little bit of a following. Um, and I remember we, we did a single barrel, um, man, we did single barrel Eagle Rare, single barrel uh, Buffalo Trace, and Elmer T. Lee. And I think it was in 2008 when we did that. And, man, shortly thereafter, Elmer T. Lee passed away. So it was like one of the last single barrels, period, um, that they did of that. Because after that, they just, you know, they, they didn't have enough whiskey and stuff. But we used to be able to get Pappy Van Winkle, too. I remember when they first presented it to me, um, I said, that looks cool because it's got an age statement, number one, and the guy's smoking a cigar. So I said, I know we can sell it. So we, we used to be able to get as much as we wanted. Um, uh, times have changed. Yes. But uh, <laughs> that's all right. We, uh, we still they, – they treat us well because we – you're pretty much – whenever you come in Corona Cigar, we're always going to have Blanton's. We're always going to have Buffalo Trace. And most of the times we're going to have Eagle Rare. Um, Happy Van Winkle, that's, that's – I'll – be totally honest with you, we kind of we kind of release that throughout the year in stages, just because if we just put it all out on the shelf at once, it'd be gone in you know 30 days. So right. we really limit that, so that when you do come in, there's always some pappy on the shelf. But I know that a lot of guys have been man for the last few years, 
hitting us up hard for the Blantons. And, uh, but we do Blantons in the single barrels. We, we get a couple barrels of those a year, uh, along with, uh, you know, tons of other stuff that we, distilleries we work with. So we've been real fortunate um, to have that access. But I think it goes back to we were, we were uh, really promoting the brown spirits and bourbon before it took off. So we were kind of in the grassroots level. And um, a lot, a lot of those companies have uh, haven't forgotten that. So that's that's always nice. All right, let's jump right into uh, this cigar. The cigar that I just lit up before the show. I think Jordan did one too. This oh, yeah. is the uh, new Drew Estate Twenty Acre Farm, featuring no band. Uh, yeah, no band. This is from the, <laughs> the Freestyle uh, Live from the Freestyle Live pack. But uh, this particular cigar uh, features tobacco from Jeff Your Farms there in Florida. So let's talk a little bit about this cigar how it came to be what it's all about what people can expect from this uh, new release so 20 acre farm we started working on it about i'd say a little over two maybe three years ago and we wanted to have a uh, ecuadorian uh, shade wrapper version of, of a cigar that's blended with fsg filler so uh the team at drew estate and willie went to work uh and so then uh I kind of left it wide open for them. Let's let them run with it. These guys are experts. They know what they're doing. They really don't even need my input. All they need is us to provide great tobacco. So uh, I like uh, I like each factory. And, and like when uh, Willie Herrera works on a blend and a team that's at Drew Estate, to be honest with you, other than giving just a little direction on, on what type of you know wrapper we want to see this come out with, um, you want to let the artist work on his own. It's like, you know, if, if you give a guy that's already a great artist and he's got his paint going, you don't really need to direct him. Just let him do it, and when he's ready, he'll reveal it, right? And um, that's kind of the way this worked. So uh, the team at Drew Estate had plenty of time to, to not only blend the cigars, but let them age, rest, and then keep smoking them through that process. Because, you know, the tricky part is, is when you work on, a, work on any blend of cigars, you might think you have it right. Uh, you know, 90 days later, but really you need to see how that cigar starts smoking six months, uh, maybe even nine months to a year after. So uh, 20 Acre Farm, they had been working on it a while. And what I was amazed about is that how this thing was kept under wraps because yeah. <laughs> you know, Drew Estate's a, a big company. Corona Cigar's a pretty big company. And then they did that whole freestyle live thing with all this stuff coming out and nobody knew what it was. And I was like, wow, I, I've never seen a secret held in the cigar industry ever. And it's like, uh, I, I was I was amazed. I'm like, wow, this we pulled this off. So that was pretty cool. So uh, the cigars started hitting the shelves uh, this this month. And, um, I, you know, I've had the pleasure of smoking them for well over a year. And uh, I really like the, the the idea was to come up with a totally unique uh, flavor profile and blend. Um, and like I said, let let Herrera Esteli and the, or, or Willie Herrera and the team at Drew Estate do their whole um, do their magic, and it and it, it turned out great. And so far, the consumer response has been fantastic. I love the packaging too. That was the other thing; they had a lot of time to work on making the packaging right. And there's a lot of stuff behind this brand too. I don't know if you saw like the Arctic coolers that they have, and the, yeah. the ashtrays and the cases and everything else. So they're that's why I'm saying I can't believe that this thing was kept secret because, you know, that there's a lot of, of brand support behind it. And, and, you know, it takes well over a year to get any of this stuff made. So 
um, it was pretty damn cool. So yeah. I hope everybody's happy with it. Now I, I know, I know Jeff, like when I went to uh, Bobby Flay's restaurant, Mesa grill in, in Vegas, I don't know, eight years ago or so. I, I don't remember how long it was quite a while ago, maybe longer than that, Jordan. I don't know, but I, I ordered his famous, um, pork tenderloin. That's what made him famous His pork tenderloin dish. And the, the waiter says to me, now, normally they don't ask this question about pork. I, it was the first time I'd ever been asked this question about pork. He said, how, how do you want your pork done? Like, normally you don't say that about pork. You might say it about steak or whatever. And I was just like, I was like, I, just however the chef, I don't know, like, however the chef wants it done. That's, so that's sort of what you're saying about this cigar. You're like, I don't want to tell Willie Herrera how to, uh, you know, cook my pork. I just, however he thinks it's best, right? Like, the <laughs> chef is the chef. You let him do his thing. 100%. And the good thing is that it's like when you went to that restaurant, not only does the chef do his thing, but Drew Estate has a deep inventory of tobacco. Yeah. So they got a lot of stuff that they can work with. And, you know, they know what they have in, in that inventory. I don't. So let them let them play with it. Let them work with it and let them go from scratch. And uh, that's what they did. So Willie knows what, what combinations, because, you know, these guys are testing blends all the time. So they can they can have stuff that they had you know, uh, blends that they had worked on in the past. And like, you know, we know that kind of flavor profile. Now let's plug in some FSG and all these different variables and then come up with uh, what they came up with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so folks that, that, that have no idea about the cigar, um, what might they be in for? It's, it's very flavor forward. I'll, I'll, I'll start off the, uh, the conversation here. It's very flavor forward, uh, medium, um, body, probably, in my opinion. I can only half taste, but it seems to have a full mouthfeel. So um, it's not a thin smoke. Yeah, it's got some. It's got some uh, some meat that sticks to the bone a little bit. What what might folks uh, expect when they when they buy themselves some twenty acre farm? The the idea was to come up with something that was approachable for a wide audience, meaning that it's on strength wise, it's not going to knock you out, but on flavor wise, that it had to be refined. Uh, luxurious and complex. Those are the three things, right? Now, what we didn't want it to be was was an overly spicy cigar, uh, something that's going to make your mouth, you know, you know, a lot of people when they have like a, a an overpowered cigar or a spicy one, they want to start spitting, you know, and you can't. And it makes just it's not good for people where it overpowers them. We didn't want any of that, and we wanted to make sure that this was a cigar that's very approachable and very luxurious. And so that was the whole idea behind. The, the 20 acre farm blend and the packaging and the brand itself. So, um, you know, there's a, that's a big segment of the industry. A lot of people don't realize that that segment of the industry that smokes the, the mild to medium full flavored cigars, but not overly spicy. Uh, that's a big market. And that's what we wanted. We wanted something that, that you could, sh anybody could share, uh, and would say, you know what, that's a damn good cigar. And that was the idea. And, and uh, the guys at Drew Estate, and they, they did it. Yeah. You know, I think, I don't know if many people know, or I'm sure some do, probably people watching this show, of course, they're super well-informed. But if you're, if you're listening on podcast uh, later on, and maybe you're not super familiar the with... podcasters aren't as well-informed. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> if you're not super familiar with Jeff, Jeff, you have an extraordinarily long... An interesting relationship with Jonathan Drew. It goes 
way back to the very beginning. I mean, much further back than I think most people probably realize. Um, Talk about when you first uh, met Jonathan and how that relationship came to be um, and and where it went uh, between then and say now. So the the first time the way I learned about Jonathan Drew was back during the days in, in the 90s when uh, Lars Teton cigars were on the market. Dang. And um, Jonathan actually had a kiosk at the uh, World Trade Center and Marvin Samuel was his partner. And uh, I had only heard about the guy. I didn't I didn't never met him, didn't know him. All I knew is that uh, he's got a new cigar called Acid. Um it was presented to, heck, man, I was back when I had my little store in Okoe. So this was back in the 90s. And uh, Acid Cigars uh, were out. Not a lot of people knew about them yet. wasn't first sold on Acid, right? And I kind of thought, you know, I'd heard that John was like some lawyer from New York. So immediately I thought he was like a rich prick, you know what I mean? <laughs> just got into business because, I mean, really, here's what was happening during that time period. That was right during or at the end of the cigar boom, right? And you have to realize what was going on during the 90s during the cigar boom is that anybody who had money that wanted to be in the cigar business but really didn't have any knowledge about cigars or any real long-term vision or passion for it and didn't want to put the hard work in, they would just just dump money. And there was like a joke back then. How do you make a million bucks in the cigar industry? You start with two. And then there was all these guys that were getting into it that just, I don't know, they just, you knew they weren't going to be there for long. So I kind of thought John was in that class of guys, right? So anyway, I was down in Nicaragua. I was with Nick Perdomo. I was staying at his house, and I was with Tim Osner from CAO. Tim was working on a blend called for CAO Extreme, and we were working on a blend with Nick for the uh, Cielo cigars. And I I was at Nick's uh, factory. They lost my luggage at the airport and back then to get from Managua to Esteli, it used to be a long journey because the road was under, under construction. There were bridges out everything else. It used to take like four hours. And so, um, if your luggage got lost, you just had to, you know, wing it and just go back. So we went to Esteli. I had, I had no clothes other than what I was wearing. So anyway, there's this dude that comes to the cigar factory at Nick's and he goes, Hey man, um, I heard you <laughs> lost your luggage. And I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, well, you look like you're about my size. I have a driver. Bring over a bag. So then Jonathan's driver came an hour later with a backpack full of Jonathan Drew style apparel. (laughs) (laughs) God, I want to see pictures of this so bad. So so I'm wearing some goofy ass cargo shorts that, you know, go down to my ankles. And then, uh, you know what I mean? Some weird shirt or whatever. But, you know, seven hats. Yeah, and I loved it. I, I was like, man. So John goes later on when you when you're you know later on tonight, you know he was just taking over Nick's old factory, which was right next to Nick's house. So John, when I when I went over there after dinner, it was hell. It was like midnight, and the guy was painting a, a, a boxes with a white paintbrush roller, and and it was natural. Natural cigars were going to get launched at the IPCPR later that year. Painting these boxes by himself at midnight with a, with a white paint roller. And I was like, you know what, that, you know, I remember I had an image of this guy being some rich New York lawyer who <laughs> wouldn't get his hands dirty. And then I realized what, who Jonathan is. And I was like, man, this guy's just like me because we both started from nothing and just were, you know, I was the first and only employee at Chrono Cigar for a couple of years and stuff. So anyway, 
I was like, I had a natural affinity for John and in, in his, his work ethic and then, uh, you know, and his wit too. So we, we just became really good friends and, and our companies grew together and, and, uh, yeah. yeah, we've, we've known each other for a long time and, uh, it, it's been quite the journey. So we've always supported each other, uh, wholeheartedly on everything that they do. And, uh, Drew Estate's been real good with, uh, Corona Cigar. You know, we have the Drew Estate Lounge at our Sand Lake store and, uh, it's just a good partnership, and you got to remember the cigar industry. Um, what always made it attractive for most anybody uh, was that it was sort of a, a family business. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of times we get this consolidation and buyouts, and and you know, foreign companies owning other ones and everything else, and things kind of change. But with Drew Estate, uh, you know, John and I have had a, uh, and Marvin as well. We just had a long, long relationship, and uh, we we're always like able to uh be like an advisor to each other you know where if there's some things i wanted to bounce off john or marvin or if there's things that john wanted to bounce off of me and we 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 always had that relationship which is really helpful especially being the retailer side of it and him being on the manufacturer side of it that you know there's when you're looking through things through a different prism as a retailer obviously we can see a lot of things that a manufacturer cannot see and, and, and manufacturers also see everything in the, in the process of making the cigars and some of the challenges and what, what can be done or can't be done that we may or may not see as a retailer. Right. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, Jeff, is we were talking uh, here in the studio, and I think I mentioned on the show last week when I was talking about this show coming up, you're sort of in this rare position that I can't think of maybe anybody else that's in, um, at least not as an individual, that is is you, you, you have a retail operation, obviously uh, extremely successful Corona Cigar Company. Um, you, you rep the, the brand, FSG. You're sort of a brand rep. And not only that, but you, are, you have a farming operation um, where you farm uh, tobacco in Florida. I, I can't think of any other individual. There may be some companies that kind of span those gaps. But um, you're sort of in this rare position where you get to see the cigar industry from three different, at least three different perspectives. Yes. Cause no one else is crazy enough to do it. <laughs> That's the thing is that it, it, it's, it's interesting is that I've never, ever, ever had a desire to have a cigar factory because you know, you see what goes into that. And, and that really is a hands-on uh, there's a lot of, a lot of things that can go wrong in a cigar factory. So you really, really got to have tight management and, and you got to oversee that really well. Um, Tobacco farming is the same way. Um, there's a lot of risk involved, but I, you really can't build. Um, you can have a little factory in America, you know, a couple rollers or whatever, but you can't build a real, you know, uh, high production cigar factory in America. It's just too expensive. Um, with cigar tobacco, it's the same way, but at least with the cigar tobacco farm, you can have it viable on a smaller scale, same way like a, a microbrewery or a small uh, a boutique distillery can 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 operate on a smaller way. Um, it's just that we do it for a different reason. Um, sort of like, you know, when you have a, we're growing, so there's a reason no one grows cigar tobacco in Florida anymore is because it's just not economically feasible when the, the costs for labor are so, they're, they're 150 times more in the U.S. Uh, than it is in, in Nicaragua or Honduras. 
So if, imagine having to spend 150 times more money to harvest and grow a crop than if you're in one of those other countries. So it just, it, the numbers don't pan out. But for us, because of the, on the retail side of it, uh, when you send the tobacco down in Nicaragua, make cigars and bring it back in, the retail component can support the farm. And that's the only way it works. It'd be like, you know, uh, let's say Publix or, or, or Walmart. If they wanted to have their own farm growing whatever it is, you know, in their, in their home city of Lakeland, Florida for Publix or, or, or somewhere in the Midwest for, for Walmart, if they wanted to have a small showcase farm and grow stuff, they could grow it, but of course they could go buy that same stuff in Mexico for pennies on the dollar of what they were going to grow at their vegetable farm, let's say in, in, in uh, one of these other places. But uh, when you have the retail side of it, you can support it that way. And so that's why we did it. It's just a passion for, for the farm. It's a passion for bringing, bringing back that little piece of history. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's other, you know, Drew Newman's doing that with the American cigar in uh, Tampa, same thing. You know, they're, they're rolling cigars there just to, um, the handmade cigars, just to keep that tradition alive in right. the cigar city of Tampa. Um, Miami has it as well, but again, they're never, anybody that had any kind of decent production in Miami, like, you know, La Gloria Cubana, uh, El Rico Habano, and, and the factory was in Cayocho, you know, one general cigar bought that. They shut that factory down, right? Um, what happened when uh, Ernesto Perez Carrillo's brand started taking off with La Gloria? He built a factory in Dominican Republic. So you can you can make cigars in America, but you're not going to be able to do it at scale just because the costs are too expensive. Right. So the farming's no different. Now, where where's your heart lie, Jeff? If 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 out of all these aspects of the industry that you have your hand in, if I told you today. Jeff, from this point forward, you, you can only do one of these things. You can either be a retailer, you can be a sort of a brand runner, or you could uh, farm tobacco. What what would you pick to 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 continue on doing? What do you love the most? I would I would stick with the retailing, just because the uh, you know you've got the, the 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 consumer part of it. There's a lot of folks that we you know we have relationships with that our customers have for years and years and years. Um, plus, you have the 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 whiskey side of it, the bourbon side of it, the same hey, scotch side of it, you know, so there's, there's more aspects to the retailing side. Um, but I would say, uh, uh, there's an interesting reason why, um, if you're watching like green acres and, uh, I thought it was interesting too. I just learned that one of the largest, uh, law firms, uh, lawyers in America, that he's actually got a fruit farm in Hawaii as well. There's a reason why some people have to farm, um, it, there's, you know, some people do yoga for relaxation or whatever else. Uh, there's farm. other people that really, yeah, we farm. Mm -hmm. And it's a very rewarding thing, not necessarily financial, but it is a very rewarding uh, uh, labor uh, because you actually produce something, whether it's food or the tobacco that we make great cigars with. You, you know, it's, it's when you plant the seed and end up with a beautiful crop, and you have a lot of factors that you're working against. There's a lot of risk involved in farming. And it's just a really rewarding um, back to nature and probably in the truest, rawest form of, of, you know, what we did as humans to survive for the last, whatever, six or seven years. So um, that part of it is, is really good. So uh, instead of going to, you know, the gym and working out or whatever, um, <laughs> my dad always... 
I always was like, listen, you're going to pump weights. Come over and pick this shovel, and dig this, whatever. You need to find some kind of manual labor to do. He's like, and I kind of agree with that, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I like the farming side of it. It's great for the mental and physical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the retail side, if I had to choose between the two, I would definitely choose uh, Corona Cigar in the retail and the, and the bar and the uh, retail side. All right, so we're going to get into, we're going to take a deep dive, Jordan, into uh, Florida sun-grown tobacco after the commercial break. We're going to find out what Florida sun-grown tobacco brings to the table um, after this commercial break. But, folks, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. This year, JR is celebrating their 50th anniversary. They'll be celebrating all year long with amazing promotions, contests, sweepstakes, and several limited-run projects with some of your favorite manufacturers. Join JR in celebrating 50 years of excellence and stock up on your favorite cigars today. Folks, this is... Episode 316 of Smoke Night Live. It's a special Wednesday night edition of the show. We're chatting with Jeff Borschwitz of Corona Cigar Company and uh, his FSG Tobacco, the farm that he runs there in Florida, growing tobacco, which goes into this 20-acre farm cigar that both Jordan and I are smoking right now, and many other cigars that uh, you may be familiar with. But, Jeff, let's talk about Florida sun-grown tobacco for a second. Um I, I know it's a passion project for you, but but also, what does Florida sun-grown tobacco bring to the table? Like, I, I think everybody's sort of familiar uh, with what Nicaraguan tobacco brings to the table. Uh, a lot of people can instantly recognize Honduran tobacco. Of course, we're all familiar with, you know, uh, Ecuadorian shade-grown tobacco, Connecticut broadleaf. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cuban tobacco has its sort of uh, musty, musky kind of flavor that we're all used to. What does Florida sun-grown tobacco bring to the table? What's its, you know, what's its strength? So historically, if you look at what Florida, remember, I'm not the first guy to ever grow Florida sun-grown tobacco, period. You got to understand that this, uh, Florida was the second largest uh, cigar tobacco growing state after Connecticut uh, and and was growing cigar tobacco uh, before the Civil War. So, um but most of that, that tobacco region was in the panhandle of Florida, just north of Tallahassee, just a little bit south of the Georgia line. So it's in a uh, uh, Quincy in Gadsden County in Havana, Florida. Now, Havana, Florida is, in, is, is just north of Tallahassee, and it was called Havana, Florida for a reason, because back in the uh, 1800s and early 1900s, um, people didn't have cell phones, they didn't have GoPros, they didn't have Facebook Live, and these guys would grow tobacco up there, and then they'd say it was from Havana, and then they'd sell it to the thousands of cigar factories that are all over the United States, and in the, the to the factories down in uh, in uh, Tampa and Jacksonville. So that's how the city Havana got its name, by the way. So um, what they primi- pr- uh, primarily grew in North Florida, though, was shade tobacco. So Sumatra seed grown under shade. And shade tobacco in Florida actually, in, in America, was actually invented in Florida. Um, but the idea of it was actually copied from the, uh, the Dutch farms that were in Indonesia. So they were le- using uh, Sumatra shade-grown tobacco um, in a lot of the factories. It was an imported leaf. It was a very expensive leaf. And the uh, guys down in Quincy 
Um, they went there and traveled. Remember, it was hard to travel around back then, too. So you go sure. to Indonesia yeah. and watch how they did it. And it was, it was wooden slats up on these poles. So they started doing that in Florida. But then there's a they grow a lot of cotton in that area, too. And there was a cotton gin a guy that makes cloth. And he said, listen, take that that those those wooden slats down. We'll put up the, the cotton cloth and use that as your filter for the sun. So that's how you had shade grown in Florida. From that, that same technology went up to Connecticut, where they were growing mostly uh, broadleaf. Then they started growing shade as well with the Sumatra seed. And that's how the history rolls from that. Now, the interesting thing is 1898, America got invo- involved in uh, um, Cuba's um, war for their independence from Spain. Uh, we call that the uh, Spanish-American War. And so when <clears throat> the country was going through war there, um, lots and lots of factories in, in Florida in particular were importing lots of leaf from, from Cuba. So uh, we actually had an embargo on Cuba before we had the one we're familiar with now. Mm-hmm. And that embargo was because we had a blockade on Havana Harbor. So the people down in, in Tampa couldn't get their tobacco for, the, uh, for the, uh, the filler that they used most of the Havana leaf for. So the farmers... Um, in 1898, they actually started a 350-acre farm in a place called Fort Meade, Florida, which is just south of Tampa. Now, 350 acres of sun-grown Cuban seed tobacco, grown just like it is in Cuba, which is in full sun, and a Cuban Cuban variety is is intended for that. The Sumatra seed was intended for the shade. So we knew that um, Cuban seed tobacco would grow well. They did it 120 years ago, so we could we could replicate that process. We just had to we had to teach ourselves. So um, Florida sun-grown tobacco, we use the uh, Corojo uh, 99, and now we're using the Corojo 2012, which is a, a newer variety of the Corojo uh, seed variety, directly from Cuba. Um, we're only 300, little over 300 miles away, um, Florida, from, from Cuba, as far as the uh, where our farm is. It's actually 90 miles from, from Key West to uh, Havana. So... Uh, we're very similar in the, uh, the environments. Also, our, our sea level, we're 100 feet above sea level where our farm is. If you Google uh, Pinar de Rio and look at the uh, altitude there, it's about 100 uh, feet above sea level as well. So altitude has a lot to do with it. Climate has a lot to do with it. So the seed variety that grows in Cuba grows really well in Florida. Our soil is different. We have a sandy loam type of soil. They have a little more of a reddish uh, uh Soil has a little more clay in it. Um, so our, our tobaccos will, even though they're the same seeds and our climates are very similar, the tobaccos will have a different flavor. So the Florida sun-grown tobacco has a flavor all its own, but its closest relative is going to be the Cuban tobacco. Okay. Um, now, our original Corojo seeds we got from Eduardo Fernandez okay. uh, out of uh, uh, Nicaragua. Um, he's, you know, he grows second largest grower in Nicaragua. And that's why you can take the same seed variety that we grow and Eduardo grows and they use in Cuba. And you'll have three different uh, flavor profiles of that tobacco. Um, Corojo grown in Nicaragua, especially if it's grown in Esteli, is very, very heavy, uh, very strong. Um, and in Esteli, it tends to be very thick. Um, and, and it's because different, different soils, there's very volcanic soil there. And they're at a higher altitude, so it's just a different different growing region, even though it's the same seed. So, so the closest would be to the uh, Havana style uh, leaf, and then uh, second would be to Eduardo Fernandez tobacco because it's uh, our our tobacco is like what we call brothers and sisters to his, 
And that's why uh, they make our, our Corona 20th anniversary FSGs. Uh, they also make Army of Angel and Intensa as well. So there's um, there's uh, three, six, nine, ten. Uh, there's eleven different brands of uh, of cigars that Aganorsa makes with FSG tobacco. So it's it's pretty cool because it's uh, again it's like brothers and sisters blended in a cigar. And in the future, what I would love to see is that um, Florida and Havana used to, especially Tampa, Tampa and and uh, and Cuba had a really tight relationship. Because it was actually the, the Cubans in Tampa that really pushed the U.S. government to get involved and help uh, Cuba with their independence from Spain. So um, there's a there is a, 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 a historical relationship, and even in Cuba today, they uh, the, they're thankful for the Cubans in Tampa, any war city that supported them to get their their freedom from uh, from Spain. So uh, there were cigars that were made back then with Cuban tobacco and Florida. Uh, tobacco as well and i look forward to the day when we can legally do that because mm. when we can we will definitely be doing that and bring back another component of cigar history that's been gone for 120 years now how much of the uh, the processing of the tobacco do you guys do uh, how, how does that work after the the harvest wait by, by the way when is your when when does your growing season sort of start and stop uh, so, so we're finishing our fall crop right now so we're right at the top. I'll actually post some videos probably next week of that, too. So there's like you'll have a clean stalk and there'll just be a few leaves on the top. We're letting those uh, finish and ripen. Once that's done, that we'll start uh, cutting all those stalks down and getting that, that tobacco ready for a uh, getting that ready for a spring crop. So we can grow two crops. That's the beauty of being in Florida. We can do a, a spring oh. crop and a fall crop and uh the only reason why we really do two crops now is just to hedge our bets against weather. Um, you know, in the springtime, we've got these uh, cold fronts that come through. A lot of times they bring hail and they'll bring some really uh, uh, bad thunderstorms, which will tear the leaves and blow the plants over. So if we get hit by one of those cold fronts that's really damaging, um, it doesn't ruin our year. Mm. We can we can do a fall crop. And fall crops, we have been, believe it or not, have been less risky for us because we haven't been hit by a hurricane in several years. So we've been good about that. But uh, that's always a risk to a hurricane or a tropical storm or depression that can come. If it goes right over the farm, same thing. It'll tear the leaves up, blow the plants over, and we'll have crop damage as well. So uh, having two crops hedges us against bad weather. Okay. And then as far as processing the tobacco, how much of that do you guys do? So what we do um, after we harvest it, we're going to hang it up in the barns, and they're, they're air-cured just like the traditional um, tobaccos are done. We don't have to apply any heat um, we, because in Florida we get that natural Florida sun that heats sure. up. <laughs> even, even in the wintertime, I mean, it's, we've had 86-degree uh, days here in December. So um, this year that's it's been really good for the tobacco, by the way, because the tobacco grows faster when it's warmer. Um, when you get a cold front, sometimes it, it slows it down, which is okay as well, because that, a lot of times that lets us catch up if we're behind. Hmm. So anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll hang that tobacco, we'll cure it in the barn, um, leave it in there for anywhere from 90 days or, or longer. Once it's cured, we've got to pack that tobacco. Um, taking it That means taking it down off of the, the sticks that they're sewn to and, and put them in hands, put them in, in, in cardboard cartons, storing storing them, and when it's all ready, you will export it. We'll do export a year because uh, container shipping is very expensive and uh, so even if we do a spring and fall crop we'll combine it 
because um, we'll hit our target goal, which is 5,000 pounds of tobacco a year. So we don't grow a tremendous amount of tobacco. It's not designed to be a, a like a high production farmer facility because we don't, uh, again, it's super expensive. So it's not, it's not one of those things where the more you grow, the more money you make. It's just more you grow, the more work you do. So, uh, so, so we, uh, we just, we limit that. Now, how, how, how many people is involved in your, your farming operation? So that's a great question. Cause back when we were doing one crop a year, that was another thing about the pressure. We had to have a lot more people working more because we had to grow on more land. So it's a 20 acre farm, but you, you try to rotate your patch, your, your, your sections where your fields are. And also there's certain sections that will perform well during a drought or bad during wet year. So, uh, what we've been able to do is just is is work at a section that we know uh, drains well and we're not going to have any problem whether it's dry or if it's wet and so um, by doing two crops we're able to bring the labor down and have them work year-round versus mm, having a right. ton of people working just one season then you got to tell them hey we'll see you next year and right. hope you guys come back to right, right 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 so so that's why it's been better for us to to bring it down and then and keep guys working year round. So that's, uh, you, we bring in, um, we use uh, uh, all American workers, everybody's legal. So we, uh, when we need to spool up during harvest and stuff, we, we uh, use an employment company, which is extremely expensive. But again, that's why it costs a lot to grow tobacco here <laughs> in Florida. Right. Now, Chad, Chad says, uh, he's wondering if you have, is there any way to ensure against, if you have like a severe crop loss? You? That's a, a wonderful question. So traditionally in farming, yes, you can. And it's in, in like every crop, uh, you can ensure your crop, a tobacco crop in Connecticut and in other states because um, there's, there's more than one farm. In Florida, we can't because we're the only tobacco farm in Florida. So the risk pool is one person in the pool and it's us. Ah, right. so, so we can't get crop insurance uh, because we're the only people in the state doing it but traditionally the way that's why um agriculture products are generally done regionally meaning like florida's all oranges and and like connecticut's all the the, the cigar tobacco or whatever because generally throughout the country there's co-ops which is cooperatives where farmers pool their resources together so you can have a packing house or a juice plant or a or a cattle auction things like that so farmers can get together have a cooperative and sell their products well there's no other person in that to do a co-op with it's just mm. us so so uh, uh, that's why it's just difficult but the reason it is just us is because there's no money to be made if you're just growing the tobacco you can't do it you gotta um you know we've had plenty of people reach out to us say, hey you know because i'm real active in the farming community in the florida farm bureau i'm on the board of directors there and stuff and so um you know i've had a lot of people ask mm -hmm. and we do farm tours and everything else and so um but it's one of those things that's just it's just uh it's, listen, the bad part is is that cigar tobacco is one thing. We, the real challenge is that when, when America outsources a food, its food supply, that's when things get really um, uh, risky. Like if we outsource all of our, all of our um, you know, produce and fruits and vegetables where they come from, you know, South America, Central America, or Mexico, and they're not grown in the U.S., if something goes wrong, you know, you'll have mass starvation. So that's the problem with um, why America needs to balance that. Right. And then another audience question. Mark wants to know if there's any federal inspection of the farms. Oh, great question. Yes. So what it is, um, it's not so much for like, you know, like, hey, we're here to check what you're, you're doing. 
um, it's more, they've been, they're actually, I'm no fan of, it's like, hey, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Everybody knows how that goes, right? <laughs> but in the farming area, it's been, it's the total opposite. USDA, um, and most of the agriculture stuff's done through the state, um, University of Florida and the, and the uh, Florida Department of Agriculture. So they're a wonderful resource. If you have any problem at all, these guys are, and it's like they're looking for work because they want to keep their funding up each year. So uh, you have anything wrong. If you have a pathogen or anything you're not sure about, you get and the tissue samples, soil samples, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So um, when they do come out, though, but there is a process. When, when tobacco is exported, it has to be inspected by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and it gives it what's called a phytosanitary certificate to make sure that it is in the cartons that they are, it is just uh, uh, cigar and tobacco, and also to make sure that there's no uh, any bugs or anything that could be uh, invasive species in another country. That's why um, any any agriculture product that gets imported or exported uh, does get fumigated to make sure that there's no, you know, we don't get some kind of crazy spider or some kind of, you know, you know, when when things started moving around the country and around the world, you know, that's how you ended up with like, like citrus canker and all kinds of diseases and stuff that come from other places. So uh, they use something that's uh, it, it, it has zero residual, leaves nothing. So every banana you eat has been fumigated before you got it. Every orange that you get from or had a lettuce, whatever. Uh, from a different country, it goes through a fumigation that uh, has what it does. It removes the oxygen from the air. So if it removes the oxygen from the environment for 24 hours, anything's in there is going to die. So that's how it works. Hmm. All right. So, um, folks, uh, if you get a chance, uh, I, I highly recommend. And we're going to get into some more personal stuff with Jeff here in the in the closing moments of the show, which I'm sure. Look at the smile on his face. <laughs> look at the smile on his face as soon as I said that. But uh, I, I really, you know, I, I just want to you know, tell all the, the viewers, you know, uh, support this. So, you know, grab FSG, the, the brand or the 20 Acre Farm or any other um, cigar that features the tobacco because this is really cool. It's, it's something that I, I can't believe that you have done, and it just seems so overwhelming that you have done this. But it's great. It's, it keeps the heritage alive. I mean, I know we have, you know, stuff going on in Connecticut and – and whatnot, but this is great having, you know, uh, something different, something to something to spice up the cigar industry, like this Florida Sun Grown Tobacco. So, you know, I just commend you, Jeff, for 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 this, uh, the the efforts, the uh, the. I, I mean, um, I'm sure most people are like, oh God, well that's just a crazy idea, but you just did it anyways, and we're just very thankful that you did uh, take the time to uh, to do this and maintain this for all of us uh, premium cigar smokers out there. It's it really is amazing, man. Well, I really appreciate that, and uh, it's it's a labor of love, though. I've always been in farming, and I enjoy. I like I said, it's very rewarding, not financially, but it's, it's very war- rewarding uh, <laughs> other ways. So. Yeah. Now, Jeff, let's get into some personal stuff. Uh, now, this one, this next question to you, this one is close to my heart because uh, I've sort of been in some of these battles with you. But um, you've been criticized, and you've also been praised um, by the likes of of myself. Uh, for your very opinionated stance, um, <laughs> openly in public, um, on uh, social media platforms and other platforms and whatnot, uh, shows like this and everything. My question to you, Jeff, is: is when you take these strong stances? Um, I mean, I, what's the famous line by Michael Jordan? You know, like they they always ask, yeah. why, well, you know, why don't you? Uh, 
why don't you support the Democratic Party here in Georgia or whatever, and or North Carolina? And he said, hey, man, Republicans buy uh, shoes, too. Do you worry at all that uh, taking such a strong stance it, it will could, you know, send off a portion of, of maybe your consumer base or turn a segment of your consumer base off? Is, does that come into your mind at all? Or... Or is the other option, hey, man, this is, this is the way I feel, and uh, whatever happens, happens. So I think we have a, a duty as a, as, as a citizen of the country um, to defend our, our, our Constitution and what our country was based on. And uh, we've gotten, if you, look at, if you look back to the way America was, um, it was, it was founded by guys that were you know, your local business owner, your farmer, your, your teacher, uh, things like that. And it was about escaping tyranny. And uh, the problem, the reason why I, I know I take a lot of damage for, for these stances that we do, uh, but in the end, um, you know, as, a, as an American, when you're born here, you don't raise your right hand and take a, uh, an oath when you become a citizen. You're just lucky because you won what I call the DNA lottery. You were born in America. Uh, my wife is an immigrant. She's from Scotland. So when she was going through the uh, citizenship, I listened to all those, you know, things that she they, they teach you when you become a citizen. What's your patriotic duty or your, your civic duty? And unfortunately, as companies become um, publicly traded or, or globalized, um, less and less people have the ability to express uh, any type of political uh, opinion. So what happens is there's the safe opinion or no opinion. And that's not what, um, what any good uh, governing uh, is made of, is that it takes, it takes um, discussion from both sides. But things have gotten so bad in the last 10 years that only one side has a voice anymore. And that's the safe side. And if you continue to let that that go, we'll, as a country, um, a, a one-party system doesn't work. It never has. It leads to tyranny. And um, we have to defend what America was about. And it's not easy. It's the same way patriots had to do it, you know, back in the 1700s. Um, you can watch. There's a really good good uh, HBO thing called about John Adams, and uh, he was a he was a loyalist to the to the king. Until uh, they, he actually defended the soldiers that shot the, uh, shot the people at the Boston massacre in, in Boston there, and he and he got them off too. But later, uh, when the king took away the ability for Americans to even, to even have their day in court in America, he's like, man, this is this is wrong. This is tyranny. I, he goes, I defended the, the king's soldiers and I got them off. And so he was one of the guys that later came around. And and um, for example, in Orange County and in Orlando, it is. It is it is run by Democrats, but um, I'm one of the few businesses uh, in downtown Orlando that will take a stance on the more conservative uh, 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 issue. And the reason why is that if you don't have someone else in the room to bring up you know, I, everything should be viewed through the eyes of two people or two different people, you know, how it affects one guy and how it affects another or one family or one business, whatever. If you're only hearing one side of the story you're not going to get it right. You got to hear both. Right. The problem is, if you, is the side of the story that I defend and, and speak about 
right now you get canceled or you, you know, oh, I'm going to boycott you or whatever. And, and that's not good. So even in Orlando, pretty much, um, I have loads of friends that are involved in those politics and in, in the local level that are, that are Democrats. Right. But it's like, if you don't hear from that guy, uh, on the street that has that, that other viewpoint, you're, you're going to run into some, some bad decisions. And, and, and it's, and it's people like me that can bring it back center. Uh, if things are going way too far left, which is where most things go. It's very, things really haven't gone too far right in this country for a long time. Um, so, so that's why uh, I do it. I believe it's, you know, Sarah Palin was just on Breitbart not too long ago, like a few days ago. They asked her that question. She goes, you know, the problem with conservatives is that most conservatives want, just want to be left alone, right? They just they don't want the government out of the way. They, they want to raise their family. They want to run a business. They're busy. They really don't get involved in, you know, they don't run for class president and, and things like that and get involved in politics. Well, that's why it gets overloaded with, with one side. So yeah, I do it, but at the same time, I, I do it because let's face it there with social media right now, uh, there's a lot of people would love to speak their mind, but they can't because they might get fired. Uh, they may, they might get reprimanded, um, you know, or in, in a lot of businesses, they just don't allow it. So, so somebody has got to speak up for the unspoken, um, uh, viewpoints. Now so got, that's what I do. I got to ask you about one specific instance, and then we'll we'll wrap this part up because I. Uh, uh, but there was, uh, you know, a semi-famous blow up uh, on Facebook between uh, you and Skip Martin of Roma Craft, and um, you know, I offered to uh, host a debate between you two guys, <laughs> uh, and I was gonna I was gonna try to I was gonna be completely neutral. I was just gonna give you guys each you know your time. And it got somewhat ugly. I think that's, uh, you know, fair to say. Is there anything about that instance that you regret? No, because what happens is, is that, you know, elections are, are very difficult. And a lot of times people vote without knowing what the issues are. And, um, you know, you can see exactly what I feared is that, you know, I, I've, 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 I've been the guy who's lost or, or was on the verge of losing a, a business that was doing very well. I was on the verge of losing a business because of a, of a, a cigar tax that, that was going through. And, uh, and, you know, as soon as Obama got elected and the Democrats took over, we, our heads were on the chopping block. So me and a bunch of other guys, you know, went up there uh, out of not only just fear, but out of desperation. And so we know the history and we know the players that pushed those radical uh, cigar taxes and pushed the radical FDA agenda. And the thing is, those people are still in Washington. They're still there. Dick Durbin is still the, a senator from Illinois and still the number two senator in the United States Senate. And, you know, once again, he put up his cigar tax uh, uh, was bill was considered this year. And it was going to go through if it wasn't for some people that we had been working with for the last 15 years, you know? So, so we know how much time and effort is, was put into building these relationships and who the players are that are against us. These are the power brokers in DC, the players that are against us and the guys that are with us. Right. And then you have people that are, it's misinformation. It's like, you know, you, when you hear somebody with, in the industry that was never involved with that, 
never was on any of these discussions with, you know, whether it's Harry Reid or Manchin or, or, or Kathy Cast or Bill Nelson. These are, these are, you know, Democrats that have been there for us and understand what this means. And then the Republicans that have been there for us that don't know the playing field, but yet then start putting out their opinions, which is, which is false information. And so when you got to lay it out, and that's why it was very important, and, and we knew exactly what was going to happen with the, with the election. When you have all three, you know, Democrats running all three, what's the first thing came up? Another cigar tax. It was going to double the cigar, the price of cigars. And if it wasn't for, you know, a, a Joe Manchin and others to say, hey, man, you guys, this is a problem. We, we don't need to be doing this. Um, it would have went through. And so that's why the years and years and years of hard work in, in, you know, when you're over there working in, in Washington, D.C., that's time that you could, you know, be spending on your business or with your family or there's a million and other things that are a lot more fun than walking the halls of Washington. <laughs> right. So, so that's what, you know, and so that's why, um, you know, you, because everybody's got a platform and you have a lot of guys listening to a person that's, that's just really is, is not understand what was going on in the history of, in the risk, where the, where the, where the traps are within Washington. And, um, so yeah, that's why, that's why that was very important. It still is. And, right. and these things, you know, parties and political parties change on who's running the, running the show up there. But right now we know who's running the show. Um, and that's why as, as conservative as I am, and as much as I support, you know, the ideals of conservatives, there are Democrats that I, that I support as well, because, you know, we may have a different opinion on some other issues, but these are the people that that understand our issues when it comes to cigars. Right. And that's why I said you got to have those voices, because if not, you know, if we didn't have some some Democrat allies, we would be in serious trouble. We would yeah, be, I saw... when I tell you serious trouble. People don't realize when I say serious trouble, we're talking about, you know, people losing their cigar stores right. and in and, and cigars doubling in price. And, and so um, that's why. You know, it, it can be unpopular to be the guy that's got to talk about this stuff, but but we have to. And it's worth defending. Like I said, we're an American first and and that's just part of it. It's part of it. And uh, I feel that anybody that has the ability to speak up that can do it without being fired or, or whatever. I mean, we're seeing it on everything. Look, American frontline doctors, you know, those guys last year, if it wasn't for those handful of doctors that came out and then later got destroyed. By, by social media and the press and everything else, but yet everything they talked about last year was true. Their protocols they talked about worked. Um, you know, you, you, you see Joe Rogan, what he's going through too, but yet his stuff works. You know, there's there's all kinds of battles that, that, that are facing this country. And like I said, you know, censorship and one-sided, uh, you know, one-sided uh, arguments or whatever you want to call it, uh, that, that's, not, that's not how America was designed to operate. And unfortunately, we've fallen into that trap. I, I, uh, on that final bit on that, I noticed today uh, the passing of Harry Reid, um, Democrat, obviously uh, uh, famous Democrats, uh, very liberal on some things, but um, he was an advocate uh, for, for cigars. And I, I noticed you made a post on your Facebook yeah. Today page about, about Harry Reid. So it, it doesn't always fall on, on you know Republican versus Democrat lines. There's advocates on... On both sides, you need to figure out who those advocates are. So let me tell you a real quick story about the Harry Reid part. So when I went to Washington, this was before 
uh, we even really had any lobbyists. This was before CRE was formed or anything. I went up there because I was going to lose my business. When I say lose my business, I was building the downtown store in Orlando, and uh, I had already signed a lease. Started construction was always started, and then this this cigar tax that was going to go up to ten bucks, and, and a floor tax on your on your inventory was sailing right through. And uh, um, I literally just went up there with, with business cards and, and knocking on the doors. And when I went to Harry Reid's office, it was in the Senate. Uh, the, by the way, the Senate, where, the, where Harry Reid's office is, like the nicest office in the in the, in the Capitol, because because whoever is in charge of the Senate, you're like the highest-ranking person there. So anyway, so I make a cold call, if you will, right? So the guy, the, you know, they have interns that are in the front, so it's usually like a college-age student or whatever. So I give them my spiel, give them the card, and like, you have an appointment? No, I don't. Uh, well, we, you know, they try to blow you off, but you tell them. Give him the card. Next thing you know, a few minutes later, uh, I, I end up getting a call. And then later when I talked, this was Harry Reid's chief of staff. And I said, he, he said the reason, and then later Rocky Patel and myself met with him. And he goes, the reason I took the meeting is because with this cigar tax, when he saw a guy from Orlando came up and he wasn't with a lobbyist, he just had his business card and was telling him this is going to put me out of business. As a chief of staff who had a lot of experience, he said, that's a, a red flag that goes up for us saying, hey, there's a problem with this bill that's got some folks so worried that they literally drove up here or flew up here or made the trip to tell us something. So we need to listen to them because there's probably what they, what they, the word they always use, an unintended consequence. Right. And, and it was an un, unintended consequence. So they, they let them look at what was going on. And then, you know, once you get one guy, leadership to say, hey, <laughs> You know, let's take a look at this. Then he kind of instructs who these other offices that, that run things. So it's a ton of work. But my point is, is that still have faith in the American system, meaning that you can go up there and knock on doors. And and, and the thing is that they here's the other thing. When they see an individual that comes up there, they they know that he's telling the truth. It's not some white paper or some study that was funded by some big company that will get them any results that they want. Whoever's paying the bill for that study is what that study's results will show in favor of whoever's paying the bill. So it's not some white paper. It's not some, it's some guy, right? This is in there. And so then they can get straight answers from you, too. It's not going through a lobbyist, not going through this other stuff. They just hear. And so that's why it's very effective. So my point is this. Anybody that's that. I don't care whether it's about your kid's school or whether it's about your business or whether it's about whatever. You can make a difference in politics. You just got to go up and show up and be honest what's going on. And uh, and so anyway, so, yeah, Harry Reid was helpful. Um, and we made a difference. We were able to, you know, make a cigar tax from $10 go to 41 cents, which still was a 725 percent increase because it used to be five cents. But um, it is what it is. It, right. it was livable. Right. Doable. Well, I appreciate that very much, Jeff. Uh, to end the show, we got to do our weekly top three, Jordan. Oh, weekly top three. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Folks, uh, as we all know, uh, New Year's is right around the corner. In fact, Friday night at midnight, we will go into the 2022, Jordan. Season three, COVID. <laughs> season three, COVID. Uh, this is the worst season of all. Um, but, hey, uh, this is when we make our resolutions. So we thought, you know, tonight's weekly top three might be fun to get uh, Jeff's top three resolutions for 2022. Jeff, are there 
Are there three things you can think about that you want to either do less of, do more of, improve on, uh, whatever the case may be? What are your top three New Year's resolutions for 2022? All right. I'm going to smoke less cigars, eat less red meat, and have less... You are you are such a liar. The last, <laughs> the last one will be to break all three of those resolutions yeah, yeah. within minutes. So that's my resolution. <laughs> I was just gonna say those are like opposite resolutions. I love it because you you know you know for a fact that you're gonna break these resolutions. So you might as well. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody keeps them. So that's my resolution. <laughs> that's amazing. Hey Jeff, uh, we can't thank you enough for taking the time on a Wednesday night as a special episode of. Of Smoke Night Live uh, due to uh, Friday night's New Year's. Cause I'll be we're, we do sushi, Jordan. That's our big. That's our new thing. That's our thing. We do sushi uh, every uh, Why not? every New Year's Eve. We get the whole family. We go and do sushi. We used to do smelts. We used to do smelts because we're an Italian family, but we won't be doing smelts. Uh, Jeff, do you have uh, do you have uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day sort of uh, family traditions that you typically do or not? Well, it's interesting. There's a group of, of folks that we call the, they call themselves the Coronians. You know, cigar shops always bring uh, people together, and there's just a group of, of people that, I mean, like we are closed on Christmas Day at Corona Cigar, right? But yet they still come, they bring their own chairs, and they sit outside and talk wow. to each other, smoke cigars. So, uh, so, so yeah, for New Year's Eve, uh, one of the Coronians has invited us to his house, and there'll be a bunch of uh, uh, folks from our stores there, and We'll be uh, smoking cigars, and this guy makes like he's like a gourmet chef. So we'll be enjoying uh, great libations, great cigars, and some great food. And uh, we'll be doing that with Tanya and the kids, and we'll enjoy every minute. Oh, that sounds that sounds amazing, uh, Jeff. Hey, man, really, uh, just thank you so much. I know all of Dojo Nation really does appreciate uh, what you're bringing to the cigar industry and the effort that you put in and the fight that you that you do on on our behalf as well. And and, um, you know, I, we always tell people, hey, you know, uh, setting aside parties, um, vote vote for people that want to protect your liberty as an American. Find out who those judges are, those local politicians, those national politicians. It doesn't matter. Fight for the fight for the folks. Vote for the folks that want to protect our liberty as Americans so that we can smoke premium cigars and hang out on a Wednesday night and drink <laughs> bourbon. Right. I agree, because you know what? If they had their way, they, this would be banned, too, on what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. So we got to protect it. I appreciate you very much, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, hey, guys, stick with stick with us for a second, Jeff. I want to talk to you after the show for just five minutes. But, uh, guys, right. uh, Wednesday night, a week from tonight, Flavor Odyssey will be back. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what Robbie and Randy have planned. I know we're I, in the... Uh, I thought it was a gin kind of... Th- I mean, we're in the pre-mixer. We're in the pre-mixing segment. So we've we've done a pre-mixed margarita. We've done a pre-mixed uh, Mai Tai from Cutwater. We did uh, the uh, Barsmith Old Fashioned last week. So it'll... I think it's... I think Jordan's right. It's some sort of gin thing. But Robbie will probably do a live on Sunday or Monday to tell everybody what drink to get. So you can try to pair the best cigar with that. Uh, a week from... Friday, which Smoke Night Live will go back to Friday next week. I think that's the 7th of January. Uh, it's the Alec and Bradley show. Um, the Alec and Bradley boys will be on the show. We'll be talking about all things uh, Dojo Chico and uh, Urodashi and all those kind of fun stuff and see what uh, see what the Alec Bradley boys have going on these days. So that'll be a fun time. As far as tonight goes, uh, we'll treat it like a Friday 
Uh, get on the Dojo Verse. Check in your favorite cigars. Share what you're smoking. Share what you're drinking. Share what you're listening to with hashtag now playing. We'll have some fun tonight, all night long. So until next week, remember never, never smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next Friday night. Is it fast? Oh, it's fast. What about the options? What about the options? It's got all the options. But like, what about price? It's got to be expensive. Not expensive at all, man. JR's got the greatest deals on cigars and accessories. Check it out. Oh wow. Look at these. What are you guys doing with my car? Your car? I thought this was your car. I thought it was your car. Why would it be my car? I don't know. It's not again. We'll get out, but I'm taking this with a JR on the go. No matter whose car you're in, JR Cigar is there for you.